this service so far has reminded me how important it is to follow the Lord. Even in small things. And Sister Faith, what you had to say, even though it seems small, is what I'm preaching about. And it went into my heart. It's not enough to just pray. You have to trust God and leave the result with Him. That's part of what's on my heart today. The text I'll take is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. I'm going to try to teach the truth about a, a theological misunderstanding and a practical fallacy. And so, I want you to listen. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. The King James Version renders it this way, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I'm going to pray before I go any further. Lord Jesus, we've already felt your presence today through your Holy Spirit. God, I can't thank you enough for the washing of your living word, the cleansing I feel in my heart and my mind. Now empower me, overcome my weak flesh, anoint me with your presence, that these people might hear only what you want them to hear. You just uh, help today, Lord. Open our eyes and ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This is a terrible rendering, yes. terrible translation yes, yes. of this particular verse. And it has created so many people with their false ideas that Satan has a power over you that he doesn't have. Amen. And that's what I'm going to try to preach about today. This message, if I titled it, would be spiritual captivity. Yeah. A lot of you, there are people in this room, there are people listening to that recording who are in spiritual captivity, and you don't even realize it. All you realize is you're miserable. All you realize is your life is flat. There's no excitement. There's no joy. There's no passion. There's no plans or hope for the future. And you don't realize it's because you're a spiritual slave. Say, well, you sound awful mean and severe. That is not where my heart is. This message, God has been working on me this week that I sometimes am that too. Spiritual captive. Because of false uh, philosophical and psychological ideas and practices. Let me give you a rendering of a couple other translations that, that I think get this verse a little better. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Another one says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of devil having been held captive by him to do his will. And I think maybe my best rendering, my favorite one of this, is that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has been taken, who has taken them captive to do his will. Now this is a subtle difference, but it's powerful, it's huge. The translation that that you're used to, that we usually read from, makes it sound as if our enemy, the devil, has the power to capture you anytime he wants to. He doesn't have that power. I want to read you uh, the rest of the verses surrounding this. I'm going to read it from the NIV for clarity, because I don't want to take the time to 
explain these other verses. So hopefully that will be alright with everybody. I'll start in the 20th verse and go through the end of the chapter. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some are made for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Listen, I tried to preach last week about people, and, and all of us can be in this category at times. People who are spiritually intoxicated. You're not in your right mind when you're like that, and you don't have good sense when you're like that. And this passage is saying that uh, Paul's prayer that he's explaining to Timothy <coughs> excuse me, is that God might restore a sense of logic and truth to people. Amen. That's part of what he's put in my heart today, if he'll help me. This passage is really the opposite of what Paul said about his desire to follow after God. He talked about that I may lay hold on him. I, I want to go read that. Philippians 3. I've got to find it. I didn't mark it. Okay. Thank you. Philippians 3. Verse 12 through 14. Well, I'll pack up to 10. 9. Start with 9, because this is my heart. The only way to have any happiness in life. Being found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend or lay hold on that for which I am also apprehended of in Christ Jesus. Brothers, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, let us therefore as many as be complete or perfect be thus minded. Paul describes what is the way for a Christian to have a peaceful life and it's the exact opposite of what he's warning Timothy of that many Christians have fallen into. The way for us to have a peaceful life is to press toward the mark, to try to lay hold on Jesus. Really, it's to become a captive of Christ Amen. instead of a captive of the devil. That's the only way you'll ever be happy. We all serve something. We're created with an innate desire and need to serve. That's why people worship every kind of false god you can think of. The sun, the moon, the stars, cats, bugs, 
cows. And the worst of all, wooden idols they made out of their own hands. They have to serve. It's built in. And Paul is teaching us here that we... If you know God, if He saved you, and if you will surrender your life to Him, I'm talking about your daily decisions, the desires of your heart, He will lay hold on you with an arresting attention. He will compel you to do things that you don't even know how to do. He'll give you peace and He'll give you joy and He'll give you comfort and you'll have the best life you could have. That's what Jesus taught us. He said that the devil comes for nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Say, why are you so emotional this morning? Because I know what it feels like to be in bondage to an illusion. And you can be free from it. That's what I'm telling you. You don't have to be miserable. You can be delivered. There's a difference in a captive and a slave. There's a connotation of slavery of maybe you've been that way all your life. And there is an idea with a captive. You think of this. It's like being kidnapped. As soon as you're kidnapped, you fight with all your might to get out. And you keep fighting as long as there's life in your body. A lot of women who've been abducted and did that, they made it out without their abusive act going through. That is how the enemy captures us. He kidnaps our thoughts. He kidnaps our intentions and our desires. He uh, deludes us with a spiritual lukewarmness. He takes away a sense of urgency. He takes away a sense of seriousness for the future. He takes away a sense of joy and satisfaction in the everyday things. And next thing you know, one thing feels just like another. And we live in a culture, I just preached about this too, of people who design their own morality based on the cultural prevailing winds and how they feel. And if you feel flat all the time, how are you ever going to figure out what's right? You don't have to. You don't have to feel that way is what I'm telling you. Some of you listening, some of you even here now, are enslaved by a misunderstanding of the power of Satan. If you think about it logically, you might realize that you believe you're enslaved by the power of Satan himself. Let let me try to prove what I'm saying. Do you think Satan can read your mind? If you think about it logically, of course not. But most Christians live life as if Satan can read their thoughts. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent, and he's certainly not omnipotent. He's the prince of the power of the air for this time. He has, and you think about that, he has control of the airwaves. Next time you listen to something on the internet or watch TV, there's a reason he's called the prince of the power of the air. I'm not opposed to those things. They're useful. God uses them too. But the only reason he has power right now in this life is because God has allowed him to. Why has he allowed him to? That's another sermon for another day, but I will just sum it up by saying part of the reason is things can continue so you have a chance to be saved. That's why. 
part of what makes us spiritual captives is believing lies that come to you and talk to you like this. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. Do you know how many people in this culture believe they're not worthy of being loved? I come across over and over and over these broken women who think they don't deserve to be loved. Because that's what the culture's taught them. From little girls, they've been taught that you should look a certain way, be shaped a certain way, weigh a certain way. Think they're not worthy of love. And even those of us who maybe have a little bit more balanced view of life, we still have trouble accepting that God really loves us. And more than that, that He actually likes us. He delights in us. Like a father delights in his little mischievous kid. And you've, some of you have raised children or been around good parents. You notice that they're, they're trying to stifle laughter. It's something the kid does that is so cute. But it's wrong and they have to discipline it. I, that's how I picture my heavenly father. I don't think of him as Zeus throwing down lightning bolts. I think of him as merciful, long-suffering, and somewhat entertained by my stupidity. God's not uh, mean. He's just. And that's very different. Now, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, but if you know Him, you have nothing to fear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You want to live a life of condemnation, let God save you and then walk a double life. Oh my goodness, that's the recipe for misery. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. The most miserable year of my life, more miserable than when I was lost, was when God was uh, calling me to preach and I was refusing I'm not, I don't know if some of you will, will ever face that, but there may be things that God is calling you to do, and if He's saved you, he has, he has laid hold on your life with a certain particular will and purpose for your future. He has designed such a plan for you. Oh, you can't even imagine the things that God has in store. And the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy is always trying to tear down the truth of God in your own mind. It's true. Oh, he'll tell you you're too bad. You've heard people say that. God could never forgive somebody as bad as me. You're too weak, too scared, too fat, too skinny, too tall. Too short. I had a friend in college who was about 6'7". And I'm, I'm like a little kid about my amusement with the world. So the first time I met him, I said, you sure are tall. And he's like, a way to state the obvious. And I didn't realize it like he was insecure about it. He wished he could be average. And short people sometimes wish they could be a more normal height. Everybody has their burdens to bear. Some people feel like an embarrassment. Oh, maybe you feel like an embarrassment to your family sometimes or to your church or to the Lord. 
Do you know something? Love covers a multitude of sins. And if you're saved, it's not even possible for you to be an embarrassment in God's heart. Because He doesn't look at you. He looks at you through the shed perfect blood of Jesus. He can't see you with anything but mercy. It's not possible. Jesus' life was of infinite worth and He was perfectly holy and His blood that was shed, His life that was taken, was of so much value that that changed the destiny of your life forever. God can never again look on you with criticism, disgust, or rejection. It is not possible. There is no condemnation for you. That's right. Amen. Take that burden off Amen. yourself. You can't be good enough. Amen. Quit trying. Quit trying. There's some song lyrics I love about this father of lies that I want to read to you. And if you could hear the song, it starts out with this sort of spooky um, chord progression and builds into this powerful culmination of the truth. And I wish you could hear it, but I'll just read you the words. It says, The father of lies, coming to steal, kill, and destroy all my hopes I have of being good enough. I hear him say, Cursed are the ones who can't abide. He's right. Hallelujah, he's right. The devil is preaching the song of the redeemed that I am cursed and gone astray and I cannot gain salvation. Embracing accusation. Oh, the devil singing over me an age-old song that I am cursed and gone astray, singing the first verse so conveniently over me, he's forgotten the refrain. Jesus saves. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, the enemy comes and he tells you all these lies. And you know what? It sounds like a funny thing, but sometimes the best you can do is embrace his lies. And say, so what? Because his lies are founded in a little bit of truth. He will say you're not good enough. It's true. (laughs) You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You know, I was never tall enough to go to the NBA. And it really bothered me. (laughs) As a kid, I was uh, hard-headed and stubborn enough until I was about 17. I really thought I could. And uh, it's kind of silly now. But you can see, I'm just a regular average height, and I only weighed 130 pounds back then. 50 less than right now. I was at a disadvantage. So what? God had other plans for me. Much better plans. Much more happy, joyful, lasting plans. To get to preach his gospel? Do you realize us who are preachers, we who are preachers are entrusted with the most sacred thing in the world. The truth of God. There's nothing more important. What a privilege and honor. Ephesians 1.6 tells us we are accepted in the beloved. Oh, religious world is always talking about you accepting God. But the beautiful thing is He accepts you. And how could He? How can He? Why would He? Because He looks on Jesus' sacrifice. Amen. 
you need to hear this. As much as God the Father accepts Jesus Christ, His Son, I am accepted in His heart. Amen. And so are you. Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He's our elder brother. He's an example of the way God loves us. His love is unconditional. It can't be taken away. And it is an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for us. Not only that, God has predestined a certain mode of life that if you've been saved, He will bless you. And you'll be conformed to the image of His Son. Now that being conformed to His image is done by the transforming, the transfiguring power of the Holy Spirit, the renewing of your mind by hearing sermons like this, by reading the Word of God, by putting in your heart and mind good and important things, whatever is wholesome and good and worthy and just, anything of virtue, anything of praise, you put all that in your mind and heart and the Holy Spirit of God stirs it up like this perfect recipe and makes out of you something that's actually beautiful. The other option, which so many Christians find themselves in, is to be caught up in spiritual captivity, one foot in the water, one foot on the shore, never fully dedicated to God, never fully surrendered. And we all know what that feels like because we've all done it. I remember when I told publicly that God called me to preach. One of the hardest things I've done. And then the truth set in and I told somebody shortly after that, (laughs) I just realized God called me to preach, not just to tell that He called me to preach. (laughs) Like, I actually have to preach now. And life following that has been a constant, repeated surrender. Over and over and over. You don't get to just surrender once. You don't get to just uh, say a sinner's prayer, come down an aisle, shake somebody's hand, or even truly repent and be saved and it's all over. It's not like that. That is the beginning starting place. The Lord uses um, relationships, marriage in particular, to demonstrate the relationship that we should have with Him. And many people treat Christianity like this. Let me give you an analogy. This is how they treat their relationship with God. They went on one date with a man or woman who swept them off their feet. They never talked to them again. And yet they're married. And they think that's how marriage is supposed to be. That is how many Christians live their spiritual life. They've never again had an exciting encounter with God. I don't know about you all, but my favorite memories with the Lord are more recent than the day He saved me. Oh, that's when it all started, and that's such a precious day in my mind. But that's not as close as I've been to Him. It's not as blessed as I felt in His presence. That was just the day He forgave me, which was wonderful. But do you know life has gotten better and better and better after that? Oh, there's been hard times. There's been times of my own sin. There's been times that I wouldn't surrender my life. But I've never regretted for a moment serving the Lord. 
tried to. I want to talk to you about a little bit of the ways that Satan wants to take you captive. Three different categories. He wants to take you captive eternally. And as a preacher, that's my greatest concern, is the eternal condition of people's souls. The enemy has contrived and put things into practice and he has designed things. He waits hundreds of years sometimes for his plans to come to pass just so he can take you captive eternally. He wants to steal your very life before you've had a chance to surrender to God. He will kill you if he's able. That's why it's so important to seek the Lord in your youth. You have no promise of tomorrow, and this is not some contrived revival sermon. This is the truth. You have no promise of tomorrow. God has not promised to save you. He promises to save those who come to Him in repentance and submission and unconditional surrender. Satan wants to take you captive eternally. And you know, when you die and you're his captive, I, it's permanent. I see no hope in Scripture that, there's, that it ever is relieved. That's it. You're with him forever. Always suffering, always that lingering question of what if I had prayed that time? What if I had surrendered? I was thinking today about all the opportunities God gave me to seek him. My mind was such a distraction and so convoluted, I would play games with the Lord while I was lost, while I was under the uh, influence of His Spirit. We call that conviction in religious terms. But really, it's brokenness in realizing who you are. And when I felt that, I, would, I was still scared to seek the Lord and surrender. And I would pray for God to send people to me. <laughs> Lord, if, if this is really You, send over whoever. And He did a few times. And I wrote Him, my Aunt Connie's Mother's Day card. I'm so thankful that she came one time and asked me if I needed to pray. And others of you probably did too, but that sticks out because of when the Lord saved me. See, you have no promise of tomorrow. You have no guarantee of anything. And the most important concern in your life, if you don't know God, should be that Satan will take you captive eternally if you let him, you have a choice. If you're alive, you have a choice how you'll spend your eternity. You don't just get to. Uh, I heard this phrase the other day for the first time salvation is a gift, you just need to open it. You don't get to just open it, you don't get to just take it off the shelf, you don't get to just receive it. You have to come to God in unconditional surrender, repentance, and realizing who you are. And when you realize who you are, you realize you don't deserve any of it. Amen. You don't deserve His love. You're undone. You'll be like Isaiah and say, Woe is me, for I am undone, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a land of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the Lord of glory. And I believe Isaiah prayed that as a saved man. Yeah. He recognized, even as a saved man, his unworthiness, his brokenness, and his inability to stand in the presence of God. 
Well, that's what you'll realize if you're ever going to have eternal safety and security. The next way I want to talk about, and this is for people maybe who know the Lord, and maybe some people who don't know the Lord, you still have mind games that you go through. Satan wants to take you captive. I would call this category tangibly. This, this is the things that you can sense and touch and feel. He wants to destroy your health. If he can't take your life, he wants to destroy your health so you have no energy to serve him. So I've seen him do this with people. Their health is in such bad shape they become alcoholics because it's the only way they can cope. Satan's in that. People have so much anxiety. We call it anxiety now. Used to it was just fear. There was fear and faith. And now we've gotten smart enough that we have nervousness and anxiety and depression and all these disorders, which all they are is fear. They're a lack of trust in God. Now, I'm not critically pointing at anybody and saying, you're suffering because you don't trust the Lord enough. I've been there. I know how it feels. And there are times you can't trust the Lord enough. We don't have the capacity. And in those times, you read Romans 8, the Holy Spirit prays for us with words that can't be spoken in a human language. He'll take not only your physical health, he'll take your emotional health. You ever heard parents joke about their kids making them bald? (laughs) Or you turned me gray, boy. There's some truth to it. The enemy wants that too. He wants to give you such burdens about your family, such worry, such anxiety, that it actually damages your health. And I know what that feels like too. Sometimes I get so burdened and worried about some of you all. All of my adult life, I don't really know why this is, but some people I'm close to and some people I don't know, some people are complete strangers, come and dump all their problems. When God saved me, put in my heart a, a love, a care that the enemy could pervert and twist and use to destroy my life, make me completely insane. Completely broken down health-wise. Completely broken down emotionally because we can't carry those burdens. The point of when we get something like that, take it to the Lord. Bring me every burden. Bring me every care and then trust me to take care of it. I did yesterday. I uh, I slept in, which was nice for a change. Then I went to the lake, got in my kayak, and floated down the river. I didn't worry about how I was going to get back. <laughs> Just floated. And I got down a little ways, and there was a little little uh, cove, a little area where a creek was feeding in, and a little waterfall. And I went back in there, about six inches of water, and just kicked back in the shade, and I started praying. And I prayed for every single one of you here. And lots of people who aren't here. Every burden that I've been carrying, every worry and every concern that I can't do anything about and gave it to the Lord. And after, that was a long time, after that, it was like it didn't even take any energy to paddle back. I'm telling you that to say that some of you 
your, your, your health is in jeopardy probably because you worry too much about people. What are you going to do about it? You know what you will do if you're not careful? You just alienate them. Satan will take your sanity if he can. He'll also, this is the third way I want you to think of it. He'll take you captive, I would call this abstractly. It's all the what ifs. It's all the things that swirl around in the ether of the earth. All the internal conversations you have, and that includes theological misunderstandings and false doctrines. Like this that I, I keep noticing and coming across in people, and I've, I've had it in me too to some degree. A misunderstanding of God's will and purpose for your life. I want you to understand this. God's will is not something, if you understand what His will is, it's not something you should be afraid of or that should give you anxiety. God's will brings peace. It brings security, it brings safety, it brings comfort. But many Christians live their lives under self-imposed spiritual and emotional bondage. And they phrase it like this. What if this isn't what God wants? What if this isn't God's will? had a lot of people tell me something like this. I'm just trying to hear God's voice. I'm just not sure what God's will is. And they, and they are moved to a place of fear and indecision and complete inactivity. They just sit there and wait paralyzed for God's will. What if I make the wrong decision and it's not His will? I'm not being critical or poking fun. Maybe all of us have felt these things. I have, but it's been a while. Because God showed me this a while back. Do you really think you can prevent God's will from happening? No. Relax. What if I decide something and it's not God's will? You can't stop the will of God. Who do you think you are? He is the all-powerful verbal creator of the ends of the earth who doesn't faint or grow weary and you think by making a wrong decision you can prevent His will in your life? Relax. You know what I find out a lot of times when people say something like that or ask that question? It's really a veiled way of saying I don't know what I want. So let me ask you this, and this is a way, maybe the only way, that you can lead to true spiritual peace. What do you want? What do you want? Oh, people, especially people in my age group and younger, the millennials and the, and the whatever, Z after that, Generation Z, they've got all these theories and ideas and abstract ideas and, and ideologies, and they, and they listen to, I always get this mixed up, Blogs are what's written. They listen to podcasts and read blogs. <laughs> One of my millennial buddies is always shaking her head and saying, you don't listen to blogs. <laughs> and they have all this information. This world we live in, there's an expert for anything you want to believe. And there's somebody who's postulated a theory for anything you want to believe. But the problem that they can never come to grips with is what do I want? 
Some of you have been paralyzed for years on the hamster wheel doing the same thing over and over which you hate because you've never decided what you actually want out of your life. That's part of what Ben taught us about on this last Wednesday, that God may give you a subtle impression or a desire or a talent and show you that that is the direction He wants you to go and you might not hear from Him much more about it. And you use logic and you use wisdom and you use the advice of wise people and you listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes God won't make a decision for you. Have you ever been in that situation? I was in that situation a while back. And all day, a very important decision, I prayed for the Lord to show me His will. And He was completely silent. And it was a situation where I had to make a decision that day. And it would affect the future years of my life. And God wouldn't answer me. You say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. You just weren't close enough to the Lord. I was probably closer to the Lord than most times in my life. You just don't trust Him. You know what the truth was? God taught me a lesson. Some things He doesn't care either way. It's our choice. What do you want? What do you want? What do you desire? What is important to you? And so I made a decision based on my logic and my emotions and uh, my experience, and it was the right decision. But I could have made the other one. It wouldn't have made much difference. (laughs) What do you want? That's a harder question, isn't it? then what if this isn't God's will? See, you can say, what if this isn't God's will and leave you trapped in this intellectual cartwheel for the rest of your life. God is not going to show you something supernaturally that He's already shown you intellectually or naturally. There's no reason to. Do you know, it's not hard to find God's will. People worry about all the time, I don't know what the Lord's will is. God's will is so explicitly spelled out in Scripture This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should keep yourself from fornication. That's the will of God. Jesus answered a question by saying this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people as yourself. On these two axiomatic truths hang all of the laws of God. God's will is for you to love Him and to love each other His will is for you to be unspotted from the world. Don't get caught up in carousing and sinful activities that people in the world do who are lost and trying to deaden their senses. I went uh, downtown last night with Brandon in a 57 Chevy. And uh, by the way, if you ever feel depressed, get in a classic car, go drive around a bunch of people, and you will feel like the most well-loved, important person that there is. He came, he showed up at my house and uh, said, hey, you want to go downtown? I was on the phone with with another preacher about some problems he was having. And I said, yeah, I do. (laughs) That'd be good. And and we just got in and drove around all the drunks on Broadway and 4th Avenue, staggering around. And uh, it was it was fun. It was a neat experience, and we did some other stuff. And and we we commented and said, you know, I don't feel critical toward those people, but how sad to live for Saturday night every week. Yeah. How sad. They don't know what they want. They're stuck on a hamster wheel. 
They go to work on Monday and say, oh, it's Monday. And they're miserable and mean all week. They get a little bit nicer on hump day because they can, hump day's Wednesday if y'all don't have cubicle jobs. It's when you get to the top and it's downhill after that. It's downhill because all you're thinking about is getting drunk on Saturday. <laughs> to wipe away everything that was frustrating in the week and then they start it all over again on Monday. What a hopeless existence. And I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in that. And I didn't feel critical. I just thought, man, I wish they knew what I know. Let me ask you a question. This may be a different answer for different people. I don't know that one answer is more right than the other. But at the end of your life, personally, individually, which do you think will be a greater regret? The things you did that you shouldn't or the things you never tried? Just think about that. I know I don't even have to think about it. For me, my greatest regret is the things I never tried, the things I never went for, the people I never tried to get to know, the people I never tried to love, the, the, the jobs I never applied for, the places I never moved, the places I never traveled. That is a much bigger regret in my mind than making a mistake. Because God forgives to the uttermost. You can't live your life in paralyzed fear. What if I make a mistake? Let, 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 let me help you. You will. Over and over, probably every day. If you're like me. Some of you might be are, are holier than I am and it might just be every other day or every week. Whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's one of the wills of God. Enjoy your life. Yes. I was talking about this with somebody lately. I don't, I don't remember who it was now, but it gives God glory for a person to do their craft well. This, this uh, podium I'm standing behind is so well constructed. It has little intricate elements and designs that are customized and that are intentional and that are planned and that are creative. And this is pleasing to God. You realize that? When I go to my job and I have a bad attitude sometimes and I do it uh, thinking about the weekend so I can take a break and, and not thinking about this is a day that God has given me to serve Him and it pleases Him if I do this that I'm doing to His glory and honor, I'm not happy when I'm like that. But when I realize whatever God has given my hands to do or my mind, if I do it the best I can, I'm happy. Have you all noticed that? And it doesn't have to be something big or important. One of the happiest people I know runs a landscaping company. <laughs> and every time I see him, he's spiritually uplifting. And these silly mindsets that people have, they'd say, well, that doesn't have any eternal significance. All he's doing is mowing people's yards. You know what he told me? I saw him the other day. He said, I get to be out there and clear my head and pray about people and think about the Lord's goodness. No wonder he's happy so much. Can I tell you this too? They'll take a burden off of you. Stop trying to be too important. Don't be more important than you can be. Just be who God made you. 
And if that means you, you're a machine builder like, like uh, Brother Russell was, you know the world doesn't think of a job like that as important because they don't realize tool and die maker and machinist that they make the things that make the world. Amen. They don't realize that. And it seems maybe trivial, it seems repetitive, it seems beneath somebody with a big mind. And you all saw the impact he had through years of doing that, that repetitive work. And yet people saw who he was and how he was. That was pleasing to God. And it transformed the way that I think about my place in life, knowing him and seeing how God used him at the end. Transform the way I think of the world. Listen, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So let me ask you again, especially the young people. The old ones are kind of settled in in who they are, and they've had what they wanted. And maybe I think some of you are still willing to, to learn new tricks from the Lord because He's a good master. But for all of you, especially the young ones, what do you want? What does your heart desire? Have you asked God for it? Oh, He'll give it to you. He will provide you with the desires of your heart. Jesus taught us clearly, you have not because you ask not. James reaffirmed it. He said the things you do ask for so you can consume them in your lust. And He said... He called us foolish, and he said, You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you know that? You need to realize that if you haven't realized it lately. I want everybody here to have peace, the peace that I have. And uh, the Lord has had me asking myself this question all week What do I want? What do I want? And truthfully, the one thing I want, the one thing I care about more than anything else, I I don't, there are times I care about other things, but deep down inside, like Paul said, God has arrested my attention and He has grabbed my heart with such a purpose and such a love for me that I don't want anything else. There's times I get distracted, there's times I think I want other things, but deep down inside, that is what I always come back to. And God, I want you to hear this. He has given me the desires of my heart and my life. He's protected me from things I didn't even realize were dangerous. He's closed doors that would have killed me if I went through them. Would have destroyed me. Because deep down inside my heart wants Him. I'll give you one. One personal example. Some of you might relate to this. Some of you maybe will relate to something similar. Y'all know I've been single a long time. And uh, sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes it's annoying that everybody thinks that they know how you should fix that problem. See, people think their story can be your story. And you who aren't married yet, don't try to copy somebody else's story. Don't read some perfect love story in a book and expect your life to be that way. God has a story and a plan for your life. And there have been women in my 
over those years of being single that I thought I wanted to be with and I would have pursued to my death blindly like somebody going right into a trap and God closed the door in a way that there was nothing I could do about it. Because the desire of my heart is to be His men. Even in that moment that I wanted something else. God can do the same for you. I'm not holding myself up as an example to follow. I'm just saying the Lord has been good to me. He has protected me. He has blessed me. He has kept me. He's given me joy through most of my life. And even in the times that I had burdens that I thought I couldn't carry, He comforted and sustained me. All I want is Him. And that's my prayer for you all today, that you will want Him more than anything else. If you've never been saved, if you have never had that first taste of peace, that first encounter with God, that first surrender to Him, that first date with the destiny of your life, that's not a crude metaphor. It's beautiful. Our culture has messed up those kind of things. They think all kinds of admiration and love are, are going to result in sex. That's not how it is. And God has beautiful plans for you. And He's started it with a certain intentional purpose. And He's planned out the days that you'll spend just like somebody planning perfect dates for a person that He's courting. Exciting ideas and noticing the little things in life and, and being thankful for the time. to get. God has planned those kind of things for you. And if you've never yet experienced that, it takes surrender to Him. Just like on a first date, it takes letting down your emotional barriers, not being willing to let somebody in because it's too scary. You have to do that with God. You have to let go of all the walls you've built up to protect yourself from the unknown and be willing to just fall off into His plan for you. That's called repentance. It's called surrender. That's what it takes to have peace in your life. And then once you have that, it takes repeated surrender to maintain peace. God bless you all today. May you have peace. May the God of all hope give you hope through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.